Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again. And uh, this is an exciting day in the life of uh, this church and uh, Mike Delosier's life, Mike and Barbara's, and for Equipping Leaders International for the, for the church abroad as uh, we ordain Mike and install him as a teaching elder in this Northwest Georgia Presbytery. And uh, he's coming back into the fold. He left for a while to go to that other Presbyterian church called the OPC, but now he's back among us in the among the true people of faith in the Presbyterian Church of America. And, uh, you know, one of the strangely, Mike and I chuckle about this. We have some strange little rituals. And so uh, one of those is that when we ordain and install a minister, we have a commission meeting of the Northwest Georgia Presbytery or of the Presbytery that you're in. And then we invite the congregation to be a part of that meeting. It's the same thing you do when you ordain and install ruling elders and deacons in the church as you technically have a session meeting, and you invite the congregation to the session meeting. So this is a meeting of the Northwest Georgia Presbytery. It's a commission meeting. And so the first thing I have to do as the convener is call that meeting to order. And so I do, and then the BCO says we have to pray, so we will. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you once again for the marvelous grace of meeting together as your people, of enjoying your favor on us, that we get to ordain and install another man for the mission of the church and uh, for the mission of equipping leaders. And uh, so we thank you for this day and and the Delosier's life and and as that affects this church and, and equipping leaders in our presbytery. And we pray that you would be honored and glorified by all that we do and we say today as we preach your word as as Mike makes his uh, commitments to the mission and, and, to, and to the church and, and to you. And uh, Lord, as we lay hands on him and pray, we, uh, we pray that you be honored and glorified in all that we do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. <clears throat> so, I went to the BCO and to figure out exactly what we're supposed to do. You know, we we have our little rituals and we have to do this in a certain order. And so you'll find that order in your in your insert. And so it calls for the preaching of the word. And so then I sent that all to Mike to put into the bulletin. And then he sent me instructions back that I only get 20 minutes to preach. And you know, I'm not even sure it's worth the 30 minute drive from Douglasville. <laughs> To only get to preach tw- tw- 20 minutes. And so, what time's lunch? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get there uh, eventually. Let's uh, read together the Word of God, Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your your territory. And no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, 
For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, and do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has given to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that the Mo, uh, Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered to Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. And just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words... Whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. You know, normally when we, uh, when we have a, uh, an ordination service, it's for a young man who uh, still has his hair. Or if he has hair, it's, it's, not, it's not gray like mine. But, you know, I picked this passage in part because this is about the ordination of an old man. Um, Moses was 80 when he was called to the ministry, and Joshua is now 80, and he's called to take over for the Moses because Moses lived to be 120, and then he died doing the ministry. So as far as Joshua and Moses are concerned, Mike is still a young man, and he has a lot of vigor left in him. Joshua served the Lord for 30 more years after Joshua won, and so we would wish that upon our brother as well, may it be so. I have three things that I want to show you this morning from this passage. Three, three things to share with you about the gospel. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is God's abiding promise. Now, there are three specific promises in this passage. I don't, I don't know if you noticed them as we read it, but this is one of the most reassuring passages in all the Bible because God says to Joshua, take the people and go receive my gift to you. This is grace, beloved, real grace. Three promises. Promise number one, he says, everywhere you step, everywhere you go, 
I will give you, just like I promised Moses, all the way from the Mediterranean on the southwest to the Euphrates River on the northeast side of Syria. It's a big chunk of land. It's called the Levant. And all of it is given to Moses and now given to Joshua. Promise number two. No man shall be able to stand against you. What an incredible and amazing promise. He says your whole life, no one will be able to stand against you just like Moses. That, that's amazing to me. Sure victory. Now that should make Joshua have a lot of courage and to feel good. That, that, that would make me feel good to know that whatever I did would be successful. Promise number three, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, beloved, this is the real prize. This is what's offered in the gospel. If God loves us and, and, and really loves us and we believe it and we know it's so, then the best gift that he could give us is the gift of himself. And in the gospel, he has so those are the three promises to Joshua, and they're not new promises. These are the exact same promises that God gave to Abraham. So this is a, a form of covenant renewal that they're practicing right there. Uh, the people of God with Joshua, he's leading in it, and it's the kind of thing that we do on Sunday morning. Worship is really covenant renewal. These are the promises to Abraham. I'm going to give you the people, and I'm going to give you the land. There's promise number one. Promise number two, I'm going to give you the nations. I'm so excited that Mike is on our team for India and now also working in South America and Nicaragua and, and helping to lead some of that effort down there because that's part of the promise to give the nations to the church of Jesus Christ. And then promise number three, the grand prize, I will be with you. And, and so then we look forward to, to the New Testament and what about us? What about these promises to Abraham and then to Joshua? Well, in the New Testament, we don't inherit the land of, of Israel. That's right. Anybody that says that's the promise, that's wrong theology. Because we get, beloved, the whole thing. We get the whole kingdom. That's the promise of God. In Romans 8, God says, If I've given you my best gift, the Lord Jesus won't I freely give you all things along with him? We are heirs of Christ, co-heirs with him. At the judgment, Jesus says to his people, <clears throat> Come all, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is so amazing. It's a sure and lasting promise. The, the whole kingdom prepared before even Mike was born. And how do you know it's true? Well, you know it's true because God's already given us his best gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, died on a cross for our sins, rose from the dead for our, for our salvation and our redemption and our ransom and our freedom and our inheritance. Now, what about fear? Because, you know, in this passage four times... Joshua is told to be strong and courageous. That must mean what he's about to face, the struggle and the battle, is hard. And it would be easy to lose heart. 
And when you're a teaching elder, when you're a ruling elder, when you're a believer, there are days when you face struggles and fears and it's easy to lose heart and you wonder if you're going to make it. And, and we all have those reasons for fear. And Romans 8 deals with those fears and tells and reminds us that we're adopted sons, that we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. It's a spirit of adoption, that we are sons of God, all of us, both men and women alike, our firstborn sons. And then Paul goes on in that great passage in Romans 8, and he reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That, that's how we wake up on those no good, very bad days and we face the fight with courage and with strength is because all that power comes from the Spirit who lives within us. You see, that's the gift that God gives us and that's how we're able to be strong and courageous. In, in Hebrews 13 the writer says, keep your life from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Well, you know, the number one, the, what, what causes us to fear is the idols in our lives. And the number one idol that the scriptures attest to again and again is money. And in a prosperous world, the temptation is to think that you can solve your own problems, that you have enough money to do it, that comfort is the number one thing you need. And so any struggle against your comfort is a reason for fear. And, and that's not the gospel promise, you see. The promise is that money doesn't solve your problems, so don't worry about it. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So Mike, the, the, the scripture says to you this morning, and to all of us, be strong, be courageous, because we serve the same God, we're on the same mission, and we're the same people. You see, that's what this passage is about. Point number two, God's continuing mission. We've seen that he's the same God. Now we'll see that we're on the same mission to bring the glory of King Jesus to the whole world. You know, when you pull this story apart and you look at the the, the structure of it is, as a piece of literature, what you'll see is that our story is really simple. First, God says, I'm giving you the land, and then he says, so be faithful. And then Joshua turns as his appointed leader to the people, and he says, take the land, be faithful. And then the people respond, and they say, we'll go take the land, we'll be faithful. So that's what this passage is about. Do the mission of God, be faithful. And, and God says to, to Joshua and to us that success on my mission is a sure thing. We know it's a success for Joshua because God says so. And then we read the book of Joshua and we see all that success. God, Joshua went to his grave a successful man because he was faithful to the mission of God. And we know that our lives can be a success on the mission of God because the second, the greater Joshua, King Jesus himself has come and he has done the heavy lifting so that we can then be the faithful people of God. The world says success is possible 
If you're committed, if you work harder than everybody else, take the world by storm. You can do it. Well, that's not the gospel. Someone in the church, somebody like Joel Osteen perhaps, will say, God guarantees success, so dream big. Whatever you want God to do, well, he'll do it. He loves you that much. You just need to have faith. There's no limits to your dreams. And that's not the gospel. That's syncretism between Nike and Jesus, the God who gives you everything you dream. Here's the gospel. God says, Success on God's mission is a sure thing because of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. Our king is the king of the nations, and he promises that if we are faithful, we'll see his glory among the people. Don't turn to the left or to the right. Stay on God's mission. That's where success comes from. So he tells Joshua two things here. Be careful to follow the law of Moses. In other words, our mission is to be Bible-centered, gospel-focused, Christ-centered. Meditate on the law day and night, he says to Joshua. Now that's serious focus, isn't it? Meditating on the law day and night. And then number two, he tells Joshua, don't be distracted with other things. Stay on mission. Success depends on it. Now, what does it look like for Joshua to be Bible-centered? Well, the most deep, detailed part of the law of Moses is the tabernacle and the worship. And what it describes is a God-centered world. So, for example, when they set up their camp, they would set it up, they would put up their tents in a prescribed manner. Numbers 2 tells you all the details about this if you wanted to see it. It's a square. And in the middle of the square is, a ta- is the tabernacle. And when they set up their tents, you, if, it, if it was a man-centered world, their tents would be facing outward so that they could see the enemy and protect the tabernacle. But because it's a God-centered world, their tents face inward so that when they open the flap of their tent and they awaken each day and step into the camp, what's the first thing they see? Well, they see the glory cloud over the tabernacle, the presence of God among his people. It's a a God-centered world. He says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Just open your front door and take a look. He's right there with them. And then when they marched, they took the tabernacle apart and they carried it. And where was it? Well, it was in the middle of the train because it's a God-centered world. And the sacrifices of their worship were completely prescribed in detail in Leviticus chapters 1 to 7 because it's a God-centered world. And then here's what it looks like for us. It's in Romans chapter 12. Paul said, after laying out 11 chapters of theology and finishing with doxology, here's the instruction he gives. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, it's a God-centered world. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, 
which makes much of us, you see, but make much of Jesus instead. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Our mind is to be renewed by God's word. Same instruction to Joshua comes to us, you see. He was to meditate on the law day and night so that he would live a God-centered life. So Paul gives us the same kind of instruction. The first response to the great theology of redemption in Romans is to have a Christ-centered life and to have our minds transformed by the Word of God. And that's how we find God's will, and that's how we know His mission. And that's the manner through prayer by which we accept the will of God, and then we approve the will of God. And so you see, you can't love God's word if you don't read it. I don't, I don't know how, whether you're reading the Bible regularly or not. Some of you are, and some of you are not. I, one of the things that I've turned to is I, I use a, a, an iPad and an iPhone. Uh, those of you who have an Android, I, I realize that you, you're in the technological world, but, you know, it's a lesser world. It's okay. But... <laughs> But, but the ESV app is a marvelous app, and, and it is on the Android. Uh, I don't think it comes with the Global Study Bible on the Android, but you can still read the Bible there without commentary. And so the most important part's there, the Bible's there. But they have great reading platforms on there, and I follow that to help me read through the Bible. I don't have great discipline. That, it's just a great help. And so I admonish you to do that. You can't love God's word if you don't read it. And in that word, in Deuteronomy 20, you'll find exact instructions for holy war that Joshua and company were supposed to follow to demolish idols and bring the kingdom to Israel. And God says the same thing to us in the New Testament. Make disciples of the nations Make disciples of Jesus from the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And the chief command is to love Christ and to love one another, to live a Christ-centered world, life in a Christ-centered community. And, and then the same thing that God tells Joshua, he tells us, don't be distracted. Don't follow the idols of the culture. Have the mind of Christ. And we wipe idolatry and idolaters out with the gospel. We're not with the sword, but with the sword of the word. We tell people the good news, that there is a God who loves you so much that he gives you his most precious gift, his own son who dies on a cross for our sins and rises from the dead for our inheritance. We get Jesus, beloved. He's the prize. And, and beloved, you want to know what the will of God is for your life? Well, it's already in the Bible, a detailed pattern. It's right there in Romans 12 where I just read from. The first thing that Paul talks about when he talks about transformation and renewing your mind is a life in the body of Christ. And in verse 10 he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Think about that verse right there. Imagine a life where your goal when you wake up in the morning is to outdo other people in showing the honor of Christ to each other. 
Imagine what your church would be like if that was your goal in the body, to love one another with brotherly affection, and we're going to have a contest, not a contest of pride, but a contest of love, where we're going to outdo one another in showing honor. And in that way, God, Paul tells us, God tells us, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the word to us this morning is to be strong and courageous because we have the same God, we're on the same mission, and we are the same people. And that takes us to the third thing I wanted to show you this morning is God's faithful people. That's what's in our story. You know, Israel was 12 tribes plus the Levites. And what happened is, is when they got to the east side of the Jordan, out there in the plains of Moab, they faced two giant enemies, two armies, and by God's power, they wiped out both. And those victories brought fear to the whole area of the Levant as they went into the promised land. Now they are at peace, but they're not yet at rest. And two and a half of the tribes say, you know, we're, we'll stay here, Moses. This is good land. This is good enough for us. And what Moses says is, now wait a second, your brothers fought for you, and you've received rest, now you've got to fight for them. You fight, then rest. So now Joshua reminds them of their promise to Moses for the mission. You see? They, and so that's what's going on in this passage. Joshua is reminding the two and a half tribes that they promised Moses that they would fight for the kingdom and fight for the mission and then they would rest. And so what do they say? Well, they say in this passage, well, we'll do it. Now, I, I don't know if Joshua really believed them or not. They've been pretty fickle and complacent to this point. And so, so they say we're going to do it. We're going to fight for the community, for the kingdom, for the people. And so the same thing comes to us, beloved, as well. Our brothers and sisters become the center of our life. Our church becomes the center of our community in a Christ-centered world. Do you, do you know what, that the only relationships that last past the grave are your brothers and sisters in the church? Those, those, those are the ones. There's no marriages in heaven. There, there, therefore, there's no families. There's, there's only one family. You know, at a funeral, people will always say they're going to be reunited with their family in heaven. That, that's what they long for. That's, that's what they rejoice at. I, I, I guess you will be, but that's not really how it works. That's not what the, the Bible says. First of all, you get to see Jesus. That's the prize. What makes heaven heaven is because Jesus is there. That not your parents or your brother or your sister or your favorite aunt or uncle it's jesus and when you get there there's only one family in heaven i don't know how it works and who you'll get to see i always imagine it as you walk into heavenly places and there's a grandstand on each side and as you walk in the line people die every three seconds uh, believers die every three seconds in this world that you walk and you're in line you're fully aware of where you are. You're fully clothed. It's not like Hollywood movie where you wake up and you're not sure what's going on. And what happens is as you walk in the line, the people that are already there give you a standing ovation. 
And the Lord Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you walk through and you go to orientation. I don't know what that's like. But, but you go to orientation. And then your first duty is to go back to the grandstand. And for the first year you're in heaven, you know, years don't even matter. But the first year you're in heaven, your duty is to cheer the newcomers. Now, what an amazing grace that would be, right? To get to welcome your brothers and sisters. You see, the kingdom of God was built around the 12 tribes in the Old Testament. And in the fullness of the kingdom, it's built around the church with Jesus being the head. And the Christ-centered life is building your life around the people of God. And that's what Joshua is communicating to the two and a half tribes here. Be faithful to the mission. Fight for your brothers and sisters. And, and that's why we're ordaining Mike in the context of a worship service. This isn't some simple ritual. This is real church. And what's the motivation for the fight? Well, it's rest. That's the gift of the land. Rest from your enemies, from your worries, from your fears. And beloved, that's the gift for us as well. Rest and peace from the world, from the flesh, from the devil, from the false kingdom of greed and empire building. Jesus says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Second Peter, the apostle says that God's divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and evidence. And do you, do you know, beloved, that the more you humble yourself to one another and the less you seek your own glory, that the more God will show you of himself? It's a kingdom principle that the more humble you make of yourself because you see God opposes the, the proud but he gives grace to the humble the more you humble yourself before one another in the body the more of his glory that he reveals to you isn't that amazing rest peace glory not by pursuing your own dreams and your own empire but by making God's glory your mission by pursuing the fame of the name of Jesus in a simple life of loving your neighbor and wiping out idolatry with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why this passage calls us to the same mission as Joshua, to be strong and to courageous because we serve the same God, we're on the same mission, and we're the same people. It's so good. But there is bad news, beloved. The, the ba and, and, and in the midst of the good, there is bad. The bad news is, is that we're prone to be dabblers. We're Presbyterians. We're sermon tasters. We like blogs and books and reading and listening. We're, we're like the two and a half tribes content for early rest while someone else fights the battle for the mission of God. Let somebody, let the Baptists do evangelism. We'll take them after they've done the altar call. And so, beloved, this is, this is an all-in proposition, the gospel is. No half measures and no half rewards. It's all or nothing. It's like marriage. Following Jesus is like marriage. All-in, exclusive 
love, mutual glory. And the bad news is, is that rest, peace, and glory are exclusive rewards for the faithful, not the dabblers, not the sermon tasters. The dabblers get distractions and idols and fear and worry. You know, history shows that the two and a half tribes were always the first to be conquered by their enemies. You know that, right? It's right there in the Bible. That side of the river was always demolished first. And that's the way it is for the sermon tasters. It's bad. But there is good news, beloved. It's an incredible good news. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Jesus died on a cross for our sins even the sin of half measures and self-glory. And he rose from the dead to give us new life, a guaranteed inheritance, real rest, true peace, lasting joy. And then he gives us power, the power to fight against idolatry and distraction and to make his mission and his glory the center of our lives. And he doesn't do that for us alone. He does it in a community where there's others who are on the same mission together. You see, Jesus has given us everything we need for life and godliness, and he has won the victory over guilt and shame and fear so that we can live for him, so that we can be strong, so that we can be courageous. So I invite you this morning, I invite you today to turn from yourself and to, and to trust in Christ for salvation and for restoration and renewal, to be strong and courageous. Will you do it today? You see, the perfect love of Jesus casts out all fear of being on mission for God. You know, there's a great story in 2 Kings 6. It's about the prophet Elisha and his assistant, and the king of Syria. You remember this story? Maybe some of you do. It's in 2 Kings 6. And so the king of, Assy the king of Syria keeps trying to attack Israel, but, but there's a spy in the camp, and his plans, the king's plans, keep getting to the king of Israel. The spy in the camp is the Lord. It's Jehovah. It's a great little story. And he keeps telling Elisha, the king of Syria's plans. And so then Elisha the prophet goes to the king of Israel and tells him what Jehovah has already spied out. And so finally, the king of Syria is so disgusted, he goes to Dothan, not, not Alabama, the, the original Dothan. Don't, don't get confused. And he goes to Dothan to capture Elisha. And Elisha's assistant goes outside early in the morning and he looks up and they are surrounded by the Syrian army as we are surrounded by the devil's army. And the servant is afraid and he says to Elisha, what shall we do? And Elisha says, don't be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opens his eyes and he looks up and the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around God's prophet, Elisha. That's my prayer for Mike, that he would see the chariots of fire that surround him as the prophet of God. 
and that you, beloved, would see those same chariots surrounding not only the prophets that are in your midst, but all the people. Beloved, this is my prayer for you, that God will so open your eyes and you will see what's really real and what truly matters. For you see, we have the same God. And beloved, we're on the same mission. And we are called to be the same faithful people. So be strong and courageous by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you do it? Well, I hope so. For that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand for prayer. Our Father, we pray and we thank you for the wonders of the gospel and the majesty of your grace and the mystery of your kingdom. And we thank you that you are the same God, that you never change. And therefore, your mission has never changed. And therefore, the people who belong to you are the same people, always a people of faith. And for us, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fullness of your glory. And so we thank you for that. That's so clearly present in this passage this morning that encourages us on a day when we're setting apart our brother with prayer and the laying on of hands for the mission of Christ. Lord, we're on that mission together. And that mission is going to be successful because the Lord Jesus guarantees that success with his life, with his death, and his resurrection. The greater Joshua has come, and we are committed to his mission, Lord, with our whole lives. Would you grant us the grace to have a Christ-centered life, a Christ-centered mind, a Christ-centered heart, and to be on a mission together, and that this would be a Christ-centered church as they follow Mike now and a new pastor to come. Would you do that for us, Lord? And as you do it, we'll give you all the glory. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.